0: Welcome to the Jack and John Podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm John. And
1: we're on a mission.
0: To help you focus on Christ. Yeah. You know, Jack, uh, we, we live in some interesting times. To and, say the least. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So many things have changed just in our short lifetimes. And, uh, well, mine's still a little shorter than <laughs> yours. But... <laughs> yeah.
1: Somebody called me this week and reminded me. I think this does have something we're going to talk about. Reminded me of uh, my father's funeral. And my father's funeral was a few years back, and I preached my father's and my mother's funeral, so I was blessed to be able to do that. But he said he'll never forget my final line at my dad's funeral. I said, what in the world did I say I didn't remember? He said, you said, I'm next. (laughs) And I did. (laughs) I'm next. Well, dad's dead, right? Who's next? (laughs) Oh,
0: Oh, wow. So
1: In a a culture (laughs) that we live in, you know, it's it's interesting to me that some of the things that I see, that I notice, is that their culture is really one of fear, and in others, their culture is really one of faith, and the one that has a culture of faith, uh, they don't really cling to life too hard at the end. Toward the end, they're saying, when's God going to take me, mm-hmm. and others are clinging so So desperately, you know, because they don't know what the next thing is. So I think that has a lot to do with the culture that we create and that we pass along to our kids. One of faith, not one of fear.
0: Yeah, I really like that phrase, the culture that we create. Because you know we live in this time uh, that a lot of people will use that phrase "cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that sort of works both ways because you've got a culture that wants to cancel people that don't agree with the culture. Um, and then you've got people who don't agree with the culture that want to cancel the culture. Um, and I think a better way for us to look at it is to create culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've talked about this a number of times, and even in our last recording when we talked about the, the woman in, at the well and Jesus approaching her. Here you've got Jesus, who's the, the singular most important person mm-hmm. in the history of all humanity. Um, he, he comes at sort of that midpoint, and uh, you know, regardless of whether people like it, don't like it, whatever, or even our very calendar is built around his presence in the world. If you call it uh, B.C. and A.D., or if you call it B.C.E., before the common era, it it doesn't matter. You're still pivoting around Christ. Christ, Okay. And so, but he came in under the most oppressive rule. I mean, the children of israel the nation of israel was governed by rome they were occupied mm-hmm. and completely governed by this foreign power and of course you know the disciples everybody kind of thought okay when he, god sends his you know son of david to basically take over the kingdom that it's going to be an earthly kingdom and oh he's going to free us from rome mm. But Jesus had a different idea, and uh, it's like he ignored the culture in one sense and created culture in another. Yeah,
1: and I think as you look at the culture that Jesus entered into, there were so many influences.
0: Right. For instance,
1: you had the Roman influence, which was totally different from the Jewish uh, influence and their their concept of life and uh, how they were going to uh, build a foundation for their lives as opposed to what you know, the pagans were doing. And then you got what the Pharisees did to it, I think, you know, they did to the culture. They made it uh, so legalistic and they were so hypocritical that, you know, saying one thing, living and doing the other, trying to have really genuine people who are living their life under the banner of God and his love for them and making them a people. is difficult, I think, for them. And so Jesus comes into the mix and uh, he starts giving them the hope of freedom, uh, not just freedom from bondage or freedom for, you know, from the Romans or from the Pharisees, but freedom from death, sin, hell, the grave. Um, he was bringing them a hope for an eternal kingdom. And that's what I think they were confused about, that eternal kingdom in that the right. earthly kingdom.
0: But he also came to give them freedom. From their skewed version of God's grace and His will, because the Pharisees and we see this a lot today too, is people have taken what we call the law and they have skewed that into a list of rules of do's and don'ts, and and here you have to follow this to prove yourself, you know, or to become righteous. I don't think that was ever really God's intent. Um, In fact, that word Torah, you know, we translate it the law because that's an easier way to say it without giving a bunch of explanation to it. But it was more like a father's instruction, you know, and your dad's not necessarily laying down a bunch of rules because he wants you to be this some kind of rule follower. He's laying down the rules to create a better life for you and to protect you. You know, simple things like be smart with your money, be kind to other people. Um, you know, these things are not there to, to be punitive per se. Mm-hmm. They're there to help guide you to better living. But they also were there to show us, you know, what God's design is. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he built in that whole process of sacrifice mm-hmm. because he knew we weren't going to live up to that,
1: right? Well, as yeah. you as you enter into life and uh, you're thinking um, as you get older in life, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? How am I going to live my life? You know, and uh, I'm seeing that probably firsthand with two grandsons graduating from high school.
0: Wow! Yeah.
1: And uh, what what what's next? Where are they going to go? You know, in in my generation, which is at least three or four generations ago. Uh, it was almost like you had to go to, had to go to college. If you didn't go to college, then most of the boys would go into the service. And, uh, I don't know. It seemed like all the girls were wanted to be teachers or nurses and all, <laughs> you know, and all the guys, I don't know, that wanted to be famous baseball player, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, what, what do we want to be in our families? What do we want our families to be like? Because I think that's what And you've heard that probably all your life what guides our culture is a family the family Mm -hmm. unit and what is a family unit like and what is important in each family unit is our culture a culture of families who have faith in god is that a thing of the past is that something that we should seek for the future or for current times and how do we do that and how do we assess that
0: wow I mean, that's that's pretty loaded and very heavy, but, you know, you're right. Um, The family does feel like it is very much under attack. And there are so many things that want to undermine it, you know, Um, and then we we sabotage ourselves still. Um, Interesting little thing, though, you know, people always talk about um, like divorce rate and it's so high and and this kind of thing. But I was reading somebody had done a little deeper study in that, and I can't remember the author. I apologize for that, but that that the short answer of it was, yeah, if you look at divorce, it's about fifty percent, okay, but if you look at the divorce rate with first marriages, um it's less than thirty percent, really, yeah. And so what skews that data is that people who get divorced tend to get divorced again. But first-time marriages d- typically don't end in divorce.
1: Hmm. Well, that's good news. I mean, yeah. That says th- something good to think well, about. Well, uh, that's just
0: one of the things. And, uh, but I, I do think that it's, it's wise that, that we've got some people who are sort of changing the way we look at family. Because you can't hold hard and fast, okay, this is what the family unit needs to look like, okay? And, and, and it's because today that's so fractured um, that I just don't think you can be strict about hmm. that, you know, because there are a lot of single moms mm-hmm. that are raising their kids oh, yeah. and doing a great job yeah. with it.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, now, yeah. Does
0: that mean that that's easy or it's the ideal? No. But at the same time, you know, if you've got an abusive, alcoholic mm-hmm. dad, especially one that can't keep a job, and I don't know if it's, if that's better than the mom being a single mom, you know, and raising the kids in that kind of unhealthy and uh, Well, let me tell
1: you, you know? this last week, um, my daughter and her hubby went on a trip. And left the four little kids with me mm-hmm. from Thursday to Tuesday, and uh, so I can tell you some of the things that I became relegated to, and that was it wasn't going to be quiet as long as mm-hmm. they were awake. <laughs> so I had to to realize there was going to be yelling. Is that why you
0: called and asked me for those sedatives? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So try to play games, and then they fight over the games. And you know, uh. So finally, I, 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 I said, how would you like me to treat me, you the way you treat each other? Oh. And they went, well, what's that, Grandpa? Hitting you and yelling at you and screaming. At you. What if Grandpa did that? What if, what if adults did? Well, adults are doing that. <laughs> and uh, so finally, here was the coup de grace of my statement that got quiet. And kids who were trying to be a little bit better, I said, I'm going to go home. (laughs) I'm going to take my ball and go home. And they stopped. They went, you can't go home, Grandpa. Well, why not? You won't listen to me here. If you won't listen to what I have to say, then I should just go on home. Right. And so we were having this, this uh, portrayal of real life from a grandpa trying to take care of one seven year old, two eight years old and 11 year old yeah so they
0: relented yes because you were going to be out of the picture.
1: Yeah so we were we were playing games and you know I was telling trying to tell riddles because one of them likes riddles and trying to tell jokes on a childish level which that was fine and easy for me to do sure uh, but then also speak truth into those kids' lives and try to how am I a grandpa in six days gonna affect my grandchildren? who are kind of set in their, in their bents in the way that they're Mm -hmm. going in the direction they're headed. How do you get in there and how do you change that? And that's what I'm trying to say in a horrible way. Same thing into culture, uh, to try to speak a way of life that is better, could be better for a family unit. Um, Right? Right. Uh, so that's our culture, and I think that that's what we're trying to do. Uh, Mike has grandchildren. You have children. I have. You have a grandchild got one too. Grandchild, yeah, and I've yeah. got grandchildren, children. Sure. And what are we trying to do when we have an opportunity to speak into their life? I want to speak into your life something positive, and something good, and something true, and something right. And so I sat them down, and I said you only have one thing that you're told to do by God, and that's obey. And you're supposed to obey your mom and dad, and when they're not here, guess what? You have to obey grandpa.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so to try to to have that conversation with them on a, a proper enough level, a mature enough level, that these little kids, you know, might make a difference in their lives. So I, w- I, I had several... Nice conversations with my little grandchildren this past week, trying to put some of that into their hearts.
0: I think the advantage that grandparents have over parents is one, you're not there all the time, um, two, you, you've lived through the whole process of raising your kids. Um, I'm a lot calmer this time. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and and you realize what the important things are. And I think it's easier as a grandparent to sort of gloss over some of the the little details mm. or the things that are going to fix themselves. And you concentrate on one thing primarily, and that is that child needs to know that they're loved and that they're important. Um, and that they're special to you, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's how God looks at us. You know, He looks over the the stuff. He looks over the. You know, I was watching my grandson color the other day, and his idea of coloring is he takes the crayon and he's just going, <laughs> you know. And I mean, yeah, it's, fun. it's yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's I mean, the, the picture's already there, so it's like it doesn't really matter no. where those lines go. <laughs> but you know, as as a grandpa. It's like, wait that's great. No, no, no. It's like, that's great. You just do whatever you want. Gotcha. You know, he'll figure out on his own that he wants to get it inside the lines. Mm-hmm. I don't need to tell him that. Right now, he just needs to enjoy the coloring. Just enjoy the you moment. Know? Yeah. And, and then eventually, he'll on to, I can tell you, I can still remember the very first time that hit me. I was in kindergarten. Okay. And I'm I'm coloring. And this little girl, I don't remember her name at all, but she says to me, you're coloring outside the lines. And that was the first time that I ever sort of realized that that was a thing. You're, You're supposed to get it inside those lines. I'm just coloring, you know. And uh, yeah, so I'm five years old, I got my education from this yeah. little girl. So, so you make color inside the lines. You're a quick lines.
1: learner, John.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what you were talking about uh, you know your children and raising them, and it just one thing that popped into my head with that that I, I just want to throw in there because it's fun. My mom, uh, she was a, a wizard at. Uh, quoting scripture, okay? And most of the time she would do it appropriately, you know? She'd pull it in when, when she needed the scripture or something. But then she also, she was the youngest child too, like me, okay? And I think sometimes the youngest tends to be a little ornery, okay? And my mom would be a little ornery with it sometimes. Because like if I wasn't doing something just the way I was supposed to or what she had told me to do, she would start quoting, I think it's Ephesians 6, where it says, uh, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, and the for Lord. this is right. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, it's the first commandment with the promise with the that you may live long
1: on the earth. You'd say, Or she would use some scripture. Right,
0: right? she thought that you may live long on the earth. And that was her way of saying, you do it or you're going to die. Yeah, really. <laughs> It's a threat. <laughs> so it's like uh, but you know what, she said it and you could see the smile in yeah. her face even when she said it. And then and so uh, to me as a kid I didn't feel threatened by that, but I felt you know, amused and
1: driven to yeah. conform to what she's yeah. telling me. So. Well, my point is the culture that we live in today, the cancel culture, whatever you want, is I think is changing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's getting blatantly worldly and immoral. Mm-hmm. And it's very disheartening, discouraging, and challenging. Because I think the only way that we're going to change in any way, I think, is uh, through, through becoming a disciple of Christ and discipling others uh, to understand how to live their life and how to live it pleasing to God and with a hope for a future. You know, I know that my Redeemer lives And he will live long upon the earth. I know that he died and rose for me. And I know that he's coming back for me again. These things I know. And uh, we live our lives based on the things that we know. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So these things that we know we need to implement into our families and then share with the families around us and try to bring others along in the process.
0: You know, the part you said about uh, knowing him and his sufferings, mm-hmm. um, that, that takes a, a degree of maturity mm-hmm. and uh, just time spent with God and in the faith. And uh, that's not an easy thing for somebody uh, to say early on in life, you know, or or any at any time, really. Um but the disciples, for sure, all had to come to terms with that. With death? Well, just with fellowshipping with him and his sufferings, because no, they were all okay, persecuted, so not only
1: death, but right. any kind of persecution. Right.
0: They were all persecuted and ultimately died, except for John, yeah. he, mm-hmm. the one who was exiled. They all died for for holding on to their have. faith. Yeah,
1: he was. Yeah,
0: we we talked about uh, you know Chuck Colson and uh, the Watergate scandal. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that one of the things that convinced him that the, Bi- the New Testament, that the Bible was true and that Jesus is who he said he was, one of the things that convinced him was the Watergate scandal. Um, because for three
1: weeks, oh, I know ten what men you're
0: could yep. not keep, their, keep their, mouth their mouth shut. He said uh, it all fell apart because one guy squealed. Yep. He said, and these guys all went to their deaths, not only believing it, but continuing to proclaim it, that Jesus had died and risen from yeah. the dead. Yeah, the disciples.
1: Yeah, so the, yeah. the correlation between the men of Watergate who, you know, tried to hide so, something that was done, and uh, the correlation between the, the disciples who are not trying to hide the resurrection. Because it's true, it happened. Sure. If if it wasn't true, how in the world could they ever, you know?
0: Right. If some guy fakes fakes the persecution and resurrection. resurrection the, yeah. Right. All it takes is one guy yeah. to uncover the lie. Yeah.
1: So he was saying that's what convinced him to go. Yeah. Yep.
0: It's yeah. Anyhow. So what do we tell people as far as how to create this healthy culture?
1: Well, once again, uh, I think it's what we say, but I think it, it is largely in how we live. Yeah, and I think living our lives as an example before the world of of a Christian home, Christ like life, and uh, you know, building up a godly family, a family that uh, gets involved in your your culture, gets involved in your community, gets involved by serving, by helping, by loving by caring. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Christians were responsible for most of the original universities, most of the original hospitals, Uh, all of those things. uh, Christians have been at the forefront of these kinds of things because of their love that Christ places in us. And when his love is placed within us, the Bible says, then his love compels us, compels us to go out and to help others come to not only a saving knowledge of Christ, but a knowledge that will help your life and your everyday life in the choices that you make and the life that you live. Good neighbor, be a good neighbor, be a loving, right.
0: Well, it helps you look beyond yourself. Right. You know, and, and what inspires that is that Jesus obviously looked beyond himself. I mean, he laid down his life for us. And so when you recognize, you know, where we are, spiritually, it, it, forever indebted to him, um, that's very humbling. Mm-hmm. And then that humility spills over into how you look at other people too. You know, you talked about our culture being um, immoral. I, I think it actually kind of goes a step beyond that for a lot of people. It's sort of like when Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the difference I'm getting at is there's a difference between being immoral and being amoral. Okay, I- immoral means that you're you're going against what you know is moral. Okay, you're rebelling against the truth. Uh, amoral means you don't have any sense of morals. You don't know the truth. Um, maybe because you're living in a postmodern. Well, does that concept? come with a
1: hardened heart?
0: Well, it can. But it can also come in, in this culture, I think it comes in a lot of our youth, because they, they don't have any foundation at all. Hmm. They've never been raised to recognize, okay, why does that guy do what he does? You know, uh, they, they see morality more as just a list of rules. It's this, it's this moralistic, you know, do it this way um rather than no we're moral not because it's a rule or a pattern or something that we have to follow but no we we want to live a moral and upright life because that that's pleasing to God. It's not because it makes us special or or buys us our salvation it's right It's, it's more that we want to follow after what he wants.
1: But in our culture, talk about our culture, sure. we don't see people that, are showing any desire to do what God wants. Right. Uh, it seems to me that what we're doing is we're trying to make our own image, make ourselves. And not only in, not necessarily our own image, but in an image that we have in our brain of what we maybe want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, because we'll be accepted by that. But you look at people and the image that they're creating for themselves.
0: Um, well, yeah, without God, we. Become our own God. Yeah, yeah.
1: So that's that's to me that's very disturbing and it's yeah saddens saddens me because uh, sin breaks the heart of God and sin is um you know it's real and it and it's going to harm us and eventually it's going to it's going to all become coming out and uh, so. At any rate, I just think we need to be a culture that uh, makes ourselves in the image of Christ, instead of trying to make ourselves in the image of something that we want to be, that we've seen whatever, yeah. that, whatever that is.
0: And, and I think to take it a step beyond that, even it's we don't make ourselves in that image. And I know that's not what you you meant. It's like it's coming to that point of realizing that God's intent in making us to begin with was to be. His, his image. Yeah, for us, it takes really him. kind of surrender. It's surrender more than, more than anything. Yeah. Well, guys, you know, we, we live in this difficult time in this, in this crazy kind of messed up culture. Um, I just would like for you to think about, you know, okay, what can I do... To create a positive culture in my own life, in my own family, and around me that looks to Jesus and that focuses on Him. Um, Because I don't think we change the culture by being loud and angry and pushing our own views. I think we change the culture by creating a healthy culture um, in our own families and our own homes. Uh, and uh, That's where it feels like it should start.
1: Amen.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again next time.